0: Consequence Podcast Network. Over the course of his career, Billy Joel has played every kind of venue you can imagine. He started out playing community centers on Long Island, and as his popularity steadily increased, so did the size of the venues. Pretty standard trajectory for a superstar, right? But there's one venue that really stands out in his six decades of performing. An iconic venue that's internationally renowned, but to Billy, it's a place he calls home. A place where he's played more than any other performer in its history. 133 shows and counting. As you may have guessed, I'm talking about Madison Square Garden in New York City. That long and prosperous relationship between artist and venue started after the release of The Stranger and its follow-up album, 52nd Street, just as Billy's star really began to rise. And Ken Weinstein, the co-founder of music publicity firm Big Hassle Media, was lucky enough to attend Billy's very first show at Madison Square Garden in 1978.
1: The Stranger came out and there was a big record for me and all of my friends. We all were just obsessed with it, obsessed. Every song on it really was an obsession for us and we could sing every lyric. So we became such huge fans. And then he releases 52nd Street, which to us is just as good. And then he tours. And my classic story for that is, I really wanted to go see him, he was playing The Garden. So I get to the show. And um, also I played French horn in the orchestra at that time. And this guy Bruce was playing French horn as well with me. And he got first row tickets behind the stage. And our seats were like in the greens, what they used to call the greens. They were like, I guess the 300s or something, like back and up. And Bruce said to me, uh, you gotta come down here, are my tickets, come visit. So I go to visit Bruce and I get to seats and he's literally the first row behind the stage. Billy sold out the 360 and he sold every seat It was so unbelievable. I was like just staring at everything and just amazed. And um, right in front of us was Billy's grand piano. And I couldn't believe it. And I was staring out at the crowd and it was a packed house and everyone was excited. And um, while we're hanging out with Bruce, the lights come down. I was like, oh shit, I'm stuck. I was like actually scared. I was like, how am I gonna get back to my seats and my friends and all this stuff? I kind of was freaking out. But then the spotlight hit right in front of us and it shined down on, on the staircase. And out of the blackness came Billy Joe in his classic outfit of the time, the, the blazer, the tree-torn sneakers, the jeans, the whole thing. And he walks up right in front of me. Bruce and I are completely gaga at this point and screaming our heads off. And it was just so surreal, I couldn't believe it was happening. And um, he walks up the steps, sits on the piano stool right in front of us, looks around, twirls it was one of those like stools that twirl is just gliding in in a circle just like looking at all the people and taking the moment in and then he leans into the microphone without saying a word and just goes and the place went ape shit. <laughs> and i It's hard to, I'm getting chills even telling the story now because I can picture the feeling and being there so well and it was such an amazing moment and you know, it sort of is that moment when I think about my life in the music industry, it's like I was meant to be here, you know, like that, I felt that it's such a deep cellular level, it, it was sort of the moment of like, okay, I'm going to experience this again, no question.
0: on this episode of the opus we're closing out the season by taking a look at what came next for billy joel after the stranger his incredible 50 plus year career his history-making residency at madison square garden and the enormous impact he's had on his fellow musicians for the consequence podcast network and sony legacy I'm Adam Ons, and this is The Opus.
2: Don't be
3: afraid again Everyone goes
0: August 10th, 1993. That's the day Billy Joel's last studio album to date was released. Okay. Okay. There's Fantasies and Delusions, his classical album that came out in 2001, but I'm talking about pop and rock songs. He hasn't released any of those songs since 1993. And in case you're bad at math, that's 30 years. 30 years, with no new music, and he's just as popular now as he was then. It's a pretty mind-boggling achievement, but it also makes perfect sense. After The Stranger helped him to rocket to the top of the charts, Billy kept that momentum going with a string of insanely successful albums, like 52nd Street, Glass Houses, An Innocent Man, and Stormfront. And each one of them is packed full of hits. You know what I'm talking about. My life. I
3: don't care
2: what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me
1: alone.
0: It's still rock and roll to me.
1: Nowadays, you can't be too sentimental. The best bets true. Baby blue, cotton metal. Hot, Hot fun, fun,
0: cool, fun, fun. Even Universal. if it's old, John. We didn't start the fire. We didn't
3: start the fire. The we didn't start the fire. But we gone, it still
2: and of
0: course, Uptown Girl. If you need an easy way to calculate Billy's success, check out the Spotify streaming numbers for Uptown Girl. Over 600 million plays right now, and it just keeps going higher. And over the course of his career, he's sold more than 160 million records. It's hard to comprehend that level of fame and adulation, but on the flip side, even the most revered artists will always have detractors. Billy is no exception, and a small subset of sniffy critics were rather dismissive of his music and accomplishments towards the end of the 20th century. Strangely enough, Ben Folds was an indirect recipient of that criticism.
3: I think the 90s were very unkind. Well, every era is, is relatively unkind to the era before as it's trying to make its way. But Billy Joel I felt was particularly a target, and I'll tell you how I I feel like I have insight to that, because every single bad review of my band's music in the 90s included some mention of Billy Joel. So their idea of insulting me was to compare me to Billy Joel, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, really? That's bad? Because cause that guy's really good. Like, I know Pitchfork, they, you know, you're cool and everything, but you might not know very much about songwriting. This motherfucker is good. You'd be forgiven
0: for thinking the crabby critics who thought they were too cool for his music were the catalyst for Billy's retreat from songwriting and album releases. And maybe they did play a small part. But the overarching reason was really just that Billy fell out of love with the songwriting process. There were times in his career when he knocked songs out in a couple of hours. Some of his most popular songs were written that quickly, like Just The Way You Are. But it didn't always happen that way, and by the 90s, songwriting had become a chore for him. Fred Schruers wrote the definitive Billy Joel biography, and Billy has spoken to him at length about the growing distaste for songwriting he experienced over the course of his recording
3: career. He doesn't love the question, when are you going to write something? and he feels like, I wrote myself out. I didn't like the process. There's been the comparison of the piano to a row of shark's teeth when he was trying to write. He just didn't really enjoy the composition process once he had done it to his satisfaction. What's in it for him, really? He can sell as many copies of the albums and catalogs as he wants. Who wants to have one come out and tank? Billy has a high level of expectation for his own performances, and that includes the songwriting. So. That's a kind of long-winded way of saying, don't be looking for any new music from him.
0: The thought of never hearing another new Billy Joel song again is a bitter pill to swallow. And for musicians like Regina Spector, who love songwriting, giving it up can be tough to understand.
2: I love writing songs so much, and I definitely know what it's like to not write them, not get the chance to, not have anything to say and want to. All those things, but it's really, really hard for me to stretch my imagination enough to envision the idea of like not making records for thirty years and having that kind of a collection, of songs, and writing those kinds of songs, which I can't stretch my imagination to that either. You know, what an incredible you know body of work, but to just stop, isn't that just so excruciatingly painful? to not write. And I would be just interested to know if he's just like perfectly happy to not write. And he's just like, no, I'm actually, I love playing concerts full of all those songs that I wrote, but I have nothing to say. And I'm not going to just say things just to say, which I really respect.
0: We can always hold out hope of a new album, even if the chances are Pretty slim. But Billy hasn't just put his tremendous catalog of songs on a shelf to gather dust. While he has lost his taste for songwriting, the joy he's drawn from performing his music for his fans has remained, and maybe even grown. When Billy's on stage, fans like Anthony Ranieri from Bayside see his passion for music shining through. Well, he loves music, and that is such an important, but like somehow overlooked part of making music is to love music. And that's how you play the same song for 45 years live, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of times and still make it exciting is that it's got to be exciting for you. And he, he just obviously, like from the earliest recordings to him playing The Garden now, he just so obviously loves music. He loves that the fans love it too. He's spent his entire career giving the crowds the hits they crave, even if it's meant playing the same songs over and over. And singer-songwriter Rosie really admires that dedication.
2: I think it's incredibly selfless that he'll keep playing live and give these people the hits they want. I take issue with an artist that will play live and either refuse to play the hits or really change the hits, like musically. I actually take a lot of issue with that because I actually think it's selfish. When I put out a song, it's not mine anymore. But if I'm the one who wrote it and can sing it, it's my job to sing it for people. And I would do that for one person or 50,000.
0: Those amazing songs are at the heart of Billy's live shows but there are some other ingredients that help to make him so special. A huge part of his staying power as a performer is that voice. It's barely changed, even after a half a century of thrilling crowds.
3: He sounds the same, (laughs) except he's like, you know, I don't know, however old he is. How old is Billy Joel? He's in his 70s. He sounds amazing. He's held up really, really well.
0: This is Ben Folds again.
3: I remember Elton telling me one time, he was very frustrated because they were doing a tour and Billy Joel insisted on having every other night off for his voice. And Ellen's like, I don't play that shit I'm, every night. I do this every night. Fuck you. And it's like, all right, well, that's cool. He, he has done that and can do that every night. But I think, you know, listen to Billy Joel's voice. I would say maybe that was the right thing to do. He's really preserved it. It sounds so young. He's a freak.
0: Another part of Billy's ongoing success as a live performer is his personality.
1: never seen with a pop pop got a close you had your hand and spoon up your nose Ooh.
0: he has an incredible ability to make some of the world's largest music venues feel intimate going to a billy joel concert is like hanging out with an old friend and he's not afraid to have fun that's something that singer songwriter and musician andrew McMahon has experienced firsthand when he's played with billy the shows, even to this day, are a masterclass in yeah. showmanship. He has this, I don't know if it's a, a gag, but it's certainly for me and my bandmates, it's been one of our favorite things about getting to finish a set and then roll out and watch him play. Most of the times we play with him, it's been summertime outside, you know, usually a little stick or whatever, and he has a fly swatter for he them on stage. And he swatted flies throughout the game. Who else could pull that off? That fusion of his hit songs and immaculate vocals with an electric atmosphere has kept Billy's fans coming back again and again over the years. And although he's occasionally threatened to retire, he's found a way to keep performing without maintaining a hectic international touring schedule. In January of 2014, he started a monthly residency at Madison Square Garden and agreed to play one show a month for as long as there is demand for tickets. And boy is there demand.
3: Thank you. Good to New York City! Some folks like to get away Take a holiday from the neighborhood
1: Have a flight to Miami Beach, oh Hollywood
2: taking a Greyhound on the Hudson River Line.
1: I'm in a New York State
0: of It's been nearly a decade, and those shows are still selling out. Just for context, we are talking about a venue with a 20,000-person capacity. He's coming up to his 87th show in that residency, so he's sold somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,740,000 tickets at that venue alone. That is a lot of tickets. When Regina Spector went to one of the garden shows, the energy she felt was electric.
2: It was just one of those things where every song that starts, you're like, yeah! You're just like so happy because you know all of them. It's just really fun because it's like, for this man, Madison Square Garden is like a home concert. I think that... There are not so many things that unify us in such a huge way anymore. You kind of have that feeling when you're at the garden where you, it's not like you agree with everybody on everything, but everybody's somehow there and just enjoying and they could look over at each other and just be like, isn't this awesome? Oh, I love this song. Me too. It's like a very good, almost like physical in the body reminder of like how to be together with people, just enjoying something and not really thinking like, are we on the same team? I think that in the fractured, fractured world, that's a really special thing to
0: have. It's a unique experience that only Billy can create. And beyond the lucky folks who are able to travel to New York to see him in person, the music continues to touch and influence people across the globe. Many of them are musicians, like the Arkells' Anthony Carone, who sees a direct connection between Billy's songs and his own work. When I started listening through his catalog, like, again, when I was in my mid-20s, I, before that, kind of got really into, like, punk and guitar. When I started listening to him, he kind of got me back into, like, wanting to play piano. His piano playing is so exciting, and it just made me kind of um, want to rediscover that. It really kind of made it fun for me. Anthony's not the only one to be touched by Billy's music in that way. Andrew McMahon remembers being surprised by just how much those songs got under his skin, he was the very first concert I ever saw when I was in sixth grade, and it was life-changing. The next time I saw him after that, I was, I don't know, maybe in my early 20s, and I went and I saw him with L. John. I'd already been on the road, on tour, in a band. And I was half-mortified, but also really elated. Seeing him that many years later, it was like, oh, that's where I stole that move. So from the one show I saw him play, it was like, oh yeah, I got on the piano here because I saw Billy Joel do that these songs are baked into everyone's DNA. Billy has built this unprecedented career that has touched millions of people, and it's because his music is so universal. His storytelling, his melodies, his infectious enthusiasm for music and performance, all of these elements have kept him at the forefront of our collective imagination decades after he stopped writing and recording songs. And as Anthony Ranieri from Bayside will tell you, not many people in history have achieved that kind of hold on the cultural conversation, much less held on to it as long as Billy has. It's hard cuz I view it through like somebody from New York where like Billy Joel is on such a pedestal but he's as close to like something like the Beatles where I'm just not
1: sure that I know anybody who doesn't like Billy Joel. Oh, And the thing that the Beatles have,
0: the very few artists who you can put even near the same category, what they have is that like my daughter liked Uptown Girl when she was two years old. And my 90 year old grandmother likes Billy Joel also. It's a real short list of music that appeals to like literally everyone. A timeless music that appeals to literally everyone. I couldn't have said it better myself.
1: So you, you may be right. I may
0: be crazy. Oh, but it just a lunatic are looking for. Turn for the Consequence the Podcast lights. Network and Sony Legacy, Don't I'm Adam Unz. Say- And this has been the Opus.